BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Breaking news on the Ben Jarofsky show. Today on the program, a brand new song from Michael Girardi. Whoa. Man, we didn't talk about that in the pre-show production meeting. Well, you, by pre-show production meeting, you mean just the last few minutes when you called me? That's <laughs> what was good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That pre-show production meeting. <laughs> yeah. New Michael Girardi song today on the Ben Jarofsky show. So get ready for that. He reached out to me, I believe, last night and uh, he sent me a link to a song. So, oh, man, that's awesome. I'm a huge fan of Michael. I always say. He's the Neil Young of Chicago. He's got that anger in that guitar. <laughs> Southern man. Sorry. Good times. I just biked around like okay. no one cares. Your Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show. Wait, time. Frank sent me a neat text. Thank you, Frank. Rom, the, the, he's finally going to get that ambassadorship in Japan. Biden's like, where can we send this guy? It's far away. Just get rid of them. Ah, send them to Japan. Just when I thought we weren't going to have any news stories for, oh, what a week it was on Friday. More on that on Friday. We're going to be talking about uh, the new Japan ambassador, one Rahm Emanuel. Can he ride his bike to Japan? I just biked around Lake Michigan. <laughs> Nearly a thousand miles. He's, he's, no, he's going to do a paddleboard thing. I just paddled my boards, Japan. Okay. <laughs> Rom, he's so happy. I'm going to be an ambassador. Yay! Hey! Our guest has arrived, but he's got it on mute because he's a millennial. He understands how the game is played. All right? <laughs> Love it when our guests show up on time, D. Your Ben Jarowski show for Wednesday, April 28th is just moments away. Before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. I just biked around Lake Michigan. The Chicago Federation of Labor, our sponsors. Nearly a thousand miles. And the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to smoke. It's true. What to drink and so much more. Even how to think politically with columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky and Maya Dugmasva and so much more. It's Chicago Reader. Subscribe. ChicagoReader.com and become a Ben head. That's what we call avid listeners of this program. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V is in victory. S-K-Y. Not only will you find an endless archive of Ben Jarofsky show episodes. This is episode 999 that you're listening to, by the way. One more and we hit a thousand. One more and we hit a thousand. Big <laughs> monumental moment here on the program, guys. Not only will you be able to check out that archive, you will be able to become a bin head. Yes. Uh, you can either be in the alley, the avenue, or the boulevard. To find out more information on how you can help this program, ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Wednesday, April 28th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, former Illinois Governor Pat Quinn 
returns. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this California Recall Wednesday. And here's why. I'll tell you why, because they're having a gubernatorial recall in California. That's why. Yes, yes. MAGA finally made good in its call for an an insurrection in at least one state. Now it looks as though voters in California will have to decide whether to keep their governor, Gavin Newsom, or bounce him out of office and replace him with some creature from MAGA land. And as much as I want to blame absolutely everything on MAGA because they're completely worthy of being blamed for most horrific things that have been going down in this country since roughly 2015, as much as I want to say this is Donnie Trump's fault, in this case, I must say, the Democrats brought it on themselves. Oh, Democrats. Oh, my beloved party. Oh, the party I have faithfully supported in election after election, year after year, mostly to the jeers of my friends of the far leftist persuasion who call me a sucker. I see you, Mr. Bike. I see you, Sam Holloway. You Democrats can always be counted on to shoot yourself in the foot and then turn to lefties like me and say, uh, please, could you bail us out one more time? Oh, your arrogance. Oh, your contempt for rules. Oh, your attitude that rules are for thee, but not for me. Governor Gavin Newsom is the poster child for it all. Let me take you back in time. November 6, 2020. Governor Newsom has recently urged residents to stay home amid fears of Thanksgiving season virus outbreak. Remember those fears? Remember those messages? We had them right here in Chicago. Remember that, D? The public service announcements by Mayor Lori Lightfoot and all the other locals, all of them of the Democratic persuasion, urging us not to have Thanksgiving dinner with our family. Remember those phony little commercials with Mayor Lightfoot would pretend she was talking on the phone? I don't even know who she was talking on the phone with. I'm really going to miss you. And then pause for the sigh. (sighs) But hers wasn't as bad as that. Mayor, what was the mayor? The one who's like, I know it's your birthday. <laughs> now she's she's been on our show before, I believe, when we were on the radio. Uh, Nancy Rotering, uh, she's nice. She was nice. She was a great attorney general candidate, but come on, mayor. This is the right thing to do, even though it's a hard thing to do. Of course, I'll give your love to, to Amy and Viv and Hank. All right. Love you, Mom. We'll talk Watch on Thanksgiving. Side. Bye-bye. Watch for side. You know, I like it now that I haven't heard it in a while. That's pretty good. <laughs> Can I just say something? Forget Frances McDormand as best actress of the year. Forget Viola Davis as best actress. Of the year. I say we give the Academy Award right now to Lori Lightfoot for that sigh. Oh, I'm going to really miss you at Thanksgiving time. Pause. Count in my mind. One, two, three. <sighs> anyway, yes, that was the message that Democrats were giving us. Let's save ourselves, save our families, protect society by staying at home and alone and just sharing Thanksgiving like like a TV dinner in front of the TV set. Meanwhile, Newsom out in California, he's saying the same thing. Stay away from your family. We must sacrifice in this time of need. Oh, listen to the doctors. Oh, listen to the scientists. Wear your mask. Then the dude schleps up to the Napa Valley and, according to the New York Times, I got to give him credit for this sentence, starts smoozing maskless at the French Laundry Restaurant. I mean, Newsom. 
You couldn't have picked a more elitist sounding restaurant to flaunt the rules if you tried. The French Laundry Restaurant. And pictures of Newsom and his massless crew flashed across the state, having a good time while we're huddling at home in front of our TVs with our TV dinners. Fired up MAGA, like feeding them raw meat. MAGA loves raw meat. They're all been ready. A recall effort happening, by the way, in California when governor went to the French Laundry. In fact, follow me on this, folks. This is a deep dive. In fact, on that very day, November 6th, the day that Governor Newsom went to the French Laundry, there had been a hearing on whether MAGA should get an extension on gathering the signatures to put the matter on the ballot. And Newsom state lawyers didn't even show up to court. That's how arrogant my beloved Democrats can be. They didn't show up to court because I guess they figured it was a slam dunk. But, oh, they had plenty of time to hang out at the French Laundry with the maskless crew. It's all downhill from there. The judge gave MAGA the extensions it would it wanted to gather the signatures it needed to put a recall question on the ballot. And now guess what? Months later, oops, looks like there's going to be a recall election. Will that recall election pass? Well, anything's possible. Still a lot of frustration in California over the pandemic restrictions. Public school enrollment has dropped by more than 160,000 students. The state's lost roughly 1.5 million jobs. Unemployment is at 8.3%. I got this all from the New York Times. The story today, MAG is going to plaster the state with image after image of Gavin Newsom at the French Laundry. I'm going to choose to look on the bright side. And we'll have plenty of experts, by the way, in the coming days from California coming on the show to talk about it. But I'm going to look at the bright side. There's still time for for one thing for Dems to block the referendum by getting voters to pull their signatures from the petition. It's a long shot, but it's possible. And even if they can't block the referendum, the state is still majority Democrat. Most people there cannot stand Trump and MAGA. And Democrats are rallying around Newsom, even if he's not worth rallying around. So this could be a rallying cry that fires up the base, encourages Dems to register, and maybe just maybe gives Democrats a little momentum as they roll into the congressional elections of 2022. And maybe, just maybe, it might get some of my more gullible Democratic friends right here in Illinois a little pause before they join the Republicans in their fair map campaign, which is really unfair maps for Democratic campaign. But it's all largely a waste of energy, money, and time in California. And all because Dems are more often than not their own worst enemies. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, yes, yes. Governor Pat Quinn will be here. He's got a lot of interesting things to talk about. I'm looking forward to talking about Pat Quinn. Going to promote our book, Ben Jarofsky's greatest hit book. Uh, Pat Quinn has a uh, few moments in that book. But before we do that, I'm having a conversation with a gentleman we call Ebo. Very interesting story he's going to tell. He's the the man who figured out how to use uh, our Gmail system. God bless him. He's a millennial. He understands computers. He's sitting by ready to go. We're going to bring him on after we take this break.
And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Face coverings. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky show live from his attic. Every Monday night, uh, I go to bowling. Uh, we took off. Uh, I took off over a year because of the pandemic, but since I got my two shots, every turn, and I have to say, it's one of the highlights of the week. Uh, this week, uh, we were victorious, uh, thanks in no part uh, to a main par- major part uh, to Ebo, my next guest, who bowled an all-time career high, broke 200 for the first time. The place was going crazy. People shared his name, Ebo, Ebo. <laughs> <laughs> so then, but here's the thing, guys. And, and as an introduction, I'm going to just say this, Ebo. I really... Uh, this, this is like for my white listeners. I mean, black listeners can listen as well. I'm, I'm not segregating listeners. White and black can listen. But I really want white listeners to hear this. Because so many times, my, I have an integrated team. There's black guys and white guys on it. And when we get together on Monday, we always, well, what, well how was your weekend? This, that, and the other thing. And a couple times, like, my black teammates were like, oh, I got arrested this weekend. What? <laughs> Never had a white teammate say, yeah, I got arrested this weekend. And it's always some kind of bizarre encounter with the police. Like, it's so unnecessary. And so I, when Ebo was telling his story, I said, would you mind coming on the air and just sharing it with listeners for a little while? And he said he would do it. So, Ebo, you ready to rock and roll? Yes, sir. How are you doing, Benny J? I'm doing very well. And by the way, before we get started... I see that head's gotten pretty big since you broke the 200 game. (laughs) (laughs) Ebo broke 200. He hasn't stopped talking about it since. When you meet him, you go, hey, Ebo, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Did I tell you I broke 200? Yeah, first time. (laughs) First time. Congratulations. Uh, You were on fire. All right, Ebo. So uh, let's talk about this. Uh, This is just like a surreal moment. And, And this is one of the sweetest guys I know, man. He's just a really great guy. Uh, just, just a good friend and a good guy to have on a bowling team. So, uh, the last person in the world I would have thought would have come back on Monday and said he got arrested. So why don't you just take us through what, what went down? It was Saturday night. Am I correct? In the Western suburbs? Yeah, I was in, uh, like, yeah, in the Western suburbs. All right. Yeah. Let's just keep it there. Okay. (laughs) A suburb uh, that does not need to be named, but we know who you are. All right. Go ahead, Ebo. Take it away. So. I'm a pit boss and a casino dealer for this company. Uh, we was doing a show in a hotel right there. It's a really big, beautiful hotel. I will shout them out because it's a great hotel, but I'm going to erase some details. Uh, we just got done dealing about four hours. And me and one of our other bowlers at the team, who happens to be my mentor at the time, we work together. So we're in the game. We sitting down in the van. We're talking, you know, we having a conversation with one of our other one of our other dealers 
who happens to be white, and he's a bowler as well. He's taught us his average about like 274. So we're kind of doing some recruiting. <laughs> so we had just a conversation about, you know, getting arrested, pulled over. And uh, we were joking about it, not saying too much about it. But then we was like, okay, we're going to take part now. They left. I was the last one. I was getting rid of all the containers, food containers. And um, I exited. You know, I started driving to this poker game, which is down the street. I play poker. I'm an avid poker player. I'm an avid gambler. I deal for casinos. So I was going to this game, literally five minutes. And I'm the last one coming out. And I'm driving about 60, which is probably about 10 over the speed limit. I don't speed really crazy, but I know... 10 miles per hour susceptible, five in rural areas. So I see the police officer maybe like two blocks down. I instantly start slowing down and I drive past him. Maybe not later than 30 seconds, he's pulling out. So I'm kind of panicking right now because like, you know, I'm in the car. Like I thought my license was valid. Um, I didn't actually smoke weed in my car today, which is rare. So I'm kind of like lucking out at this time. And there's no no alcohol in the car, so I'm driving pretty clean. But my license plate's expired maybe, like, since December. But that's because all the DMVs has been uh, closed. I can't go in person to get a new sticker because I got to pass the missus test, which I've already passed. But that's minor details, but kind of important. So my license plate is expired for a year, but it's within a grace period that we have to make. So he gets behind me. So I'm starting panicking. I'm spraying stuff in the air just to make sure. Uh, cologne, osium spray, the usual. And then I'm resigned to him pulling me over. So I'm okay. I'm just going to get my stuff ready. He went to the next lane, and he's following this other guy for like maybe a brief 20 seconds. And then he turns behind me. So I was thinking, okay, he got off me, but now he got behind me one more time, so I know he's going to pull me over. Meanwhile, I haven't done anything. I'm just coming from a show. just got done unworking. So I'm kind of thinking, okay, what can I do now? Because if he pulls me over, I'm kind of in a situation. So fortunately, I know the area pretty well, and I made two legal left lane switches to go in the left turn lane so I can go into this Walmart. The cop is like in the other side of traffic and he's processing my plates. I know he's processing my plates because he's slowing down. He's doing like maybe 30 miles now, 20 on a 50 speed limit area. So he's going drastically slow. And then he busts a right turn and busts a U-turn so he can follow me when I make this left turn down this other street. I pull into the street, into the Walmart. I get out of my car super fast because... The last thing I want to do is get caught inside my car. I leave and go to the Walmart. As soon as I get to the Walmart, I know this Walmart is closed. because This is about like 12 o'clock at night, maybe one o'clock at night. That's probably a point of detail to put up too. It's one o'clock at night. So I go to the front of this Walmart store and it's closed at 11. But fortunately, it was some workers there and they came out and told me the store was closed. And... Let me give a quick description about me, how I was dressed. I had a white button-up shirt, a black vest, a black bow tie, black skinny dress pants, and some Kohan black dress shoes. So I'm looking quite presentable and professional right now. And they was like, the store is closed. I'm like, I know the store is closed, but right now I'm getting followed by the police. I just need a place to hide out for a second. 
And at the same very bad moment, he let me in. And that same moment, the cop is driving across the Walmart store looking at us. But fortunately, I'm inside. So I'm like, I have a breath of relief. I buy some water because I just came from a casino party. So, you know, it's a little drinks involved, but nothing too drastic or whatever. I get a water. I'm thanking the guy for letting me inside because right now my heart's beating because I'm seeing it's a game of, you know, cat and mouse. He's trying to, he's really after me. So I wait about five minutes. I go in my car and I move to the opposite side of the parking lot. I didn't leave the premises because I'm aware that they'll probably be right outside the premises looking for me. Because I know something must have popped up in the system now because now he's really, he's not after me for like a regular you know, headlight or something like that. He was after me for no reason. So I'm at the opposite side of the parking lot looking in traffic to see when the coast is clear. I wait another 10 minutes. A police officer pulls off right in front of me. I can see him clear as day, dries off, and he makes a right turn, and he drives and goes down the opposite way of the route. It's a really big route. Most people drive on it every day, so it's a Walmart on that route. So I'm sitting, I'm debating, so I just call an Uber to go to this poker game, which is the, my main objective. It's literally like five minutes down the street. It's the next light, actually, I'm at my poker spot. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I'm like, nah, my place is good. I mean, I know my license is good. My place isn't good, but if they were trying to pull me over, you know, I think he's gone now. I wait another five minutes, I wait another five minutes, and I say, okay, I'm a... Uh, you know, I'm going to leave. I'm going right down the street. You know, worst they can do is pull me over. Even though I don't want to get pulled over because I know it's a whole idea, ordeal behind it. I'm not trying to give the state free money. <laughs> so I pull out. And as soon as I pull out, there's another one parked behind in the blind spot. And he automatically whoops me. So he gets behind me, start, you know, running the lights. And I pull over and I'm like resigned to the fact, okay, they're going to try to, you know, they really want this ticket. I'm not sure what it is, but maybe because he saw me, he would see me walk out, maybe he really wants to get this ticket. So um, I, you know, put my driver's my license outside with my hands, both my hands out the car. I'm like, okay, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. He walks up to the car, he was like, uh, license insurance, whatnot. I gave him my state ID. Uh, I normally have my like with the thing with technology and being a millennial, I try to keep as less stuff in the car and I have my insurance on my phone. Mm-hmm. So I look at my insurance and my insurance is expired, but I know it's up to date, but the one I have printed is expired or have saved on my PDF is expired. So the cop is running my plates, running my information. Uh, and I'm making some phone calls to the insurance people to have them forward another uh, current copy of my insurance. I'm calling my mom, I'm calling my sister. Cause you know, we all tied together with insurance. So he comes back to the car and he was like, uh, you know, your license is uh, suspended. And meanwhile, I just got the printed version of my driver's license maybe about a month ago because it took so long with the state because we had to wait three months to get, you know, a actual. I know it was crazy. I, did, I got applied for my driver's license in January and I'm just not getting a month ago. So I'm thinking my license is still good. I just got my license. I just got the physical copy. But I didn't have it on me at that time. I had my drop, my state ID. He was like, no, your license is suspended. Uh, I don't think you have insurance. And it doesn't matter right now. I'm going to need you to get out of the car. So I'm like, you know, 
don't know if I can curse on the show, but I, I let I yelled down in the explicit <laughs> because I'm caught off guard because I don't have anything in the car. I wasn't speeding, wasn't doing anything. I'm just driving my car. So he pulls me out the car. He arrests me, and they go in my car and look for, look for whatever they can find. There's pretty much nothing in my car because I try not to drive dirty. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being another two-hour process. I'm in the back of the car. Wait, about, are you telling me he searched your car? Oh, they went front, back, underneath, gas tank. I had luggages in my car because I'm on the road a lot, so I have a suitcase full of clothes, full of, you know, shoes, outfits, you know, accessories. I have a first aid kit. I used to be a a medic. So on the driver's side of my shirt, on my driver's side of my seat, I have my old paramedic uniform. So when they see my, uh, come up to the car, they kind of, you know, could uh, ease their tensions a little bit. Mm. See, because it's it's a blue shirt, you know, you know, they stay together. And I have been, you know, that has helped me a lot in more situations than it should have. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, I end up getting arrested, you know, out of nowhere. And being arrested is kind of like, it's a very debilitating incident. Having somebody take your person, take it, you know, kidnap you, have no discretion. You physically, the handcuffs are very painful, even if I'm not used to being arrested. The handcuffs, know? so they put the cuffs behind your back, your hands yeah. behind your back? Behind the back. Um, in the car, they locked, they handcuffed me to the car. So I'm handcuffed to the car in handcuffs. And then uh, I'm in the car. This, I happen to be in the suburbs, so the car is more spacious than the city. <laughs> so you I'm talking about the police car. The police car. I'm yeah. thankful for that because, you know, they, got, they can afford a better car. In the, <laughs> in the An editorial aside from Evo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was fortunate for that. But, uh, it ended up being just a, a really ridiculous process because the reason he said he pulled me over was my headlights. And I just personally fixed, replaced my headlights like a few weeks ago because I knew that was an issue and I know where I'm driving. So I went and actually bought some headlights to replace. So I think it's very unlikely that the reason he pulled me over was my headlights. What do you think? Why would, what do you think the reason is he pulled you over? Uh, I think... Personally, because I braked in front of him and slowed down. So he kind of figured I was speeding a little bit. But I know the I know it's easy just to engine brake so he doesn't see me the drastic drop of speed. But I think that was the initial reason. He just got outside and was curious to see who was driving. And he pulled up behind me. And I guess he ran the place and then it came back. My license was suspended, which I had no recollection because I haven't received any paperwork from the state. And so then everything that ensued, Pulling you out of the car, searching your car, extensively searching your car, and then slapping on the handcuffs, hooking you up to the police car and schlepping you into the station. All that ensued, perhaps because you had been speeding and you slowed down. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I can tell you right now, Ebo, I'm twice as old as you. I'm still bowling better than you, but I'm twice as old. I just had to throw that out. (laughs) I'm sorry, Ebo. I'm twice as old as you, and this never happened. And I'm not hoping it ever happens to me, Ebo. You you know what I mean? I I really don't want this to happen to me. I'm like afraid to leave the house now. It's horrible. 
I just, when I heard this, go ahead, finish the story. Go ahead. It's it's the second time this year. And the last time I was arrested while I was riding a bike. (laughs) (laughs) Were you speeding? I don't know. (laughs) Did you not have like a turn signal on your bike? Was your bike light out? (laughs) It was, uh, that's a whole nother story. That's the beginning of the yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. I can I can give you a quick version of it. I'm bad. Well, no, let's just stick with the one that happened. We'll bring you back for that version. <laughs> but it just, I just like, the, it's so unnecessary. What do you, cops? Please, what are you gonna? Why search the man's? Okay, so your uh, uh, license had been suspended. That's a whole other story. Yeah. Which. <laughs> is Ebo uh, and I talked about this. I don't even know if I want to take the deep dive. Let's just put it this way, folks. It could have been any one of you out there with a suspended license. And, and I'm just going to say this right now. Whenever a story like this is told by a black person, there's that instinct that so many people have to go, Ben, you know, he, he had the suspended license. <laughs> oh, Ben. You know, he, he was uh, 10 miles over the speed limit. And Ebo, I have to tell you this. I'm like, are you kidding me, white people? You know, I love you, but how many of you driving down the road, reefer f- just burning like crazy, and you get pulled over and, a, and you come on, officer, give a guy a break, and the officer gives you the break. You know what I'm saying, Ebo? I just... Uh, <laughs> So they schlepped you in, they put you in handcuffs for the egregious crime of maybe speeding, maybe not. Uh, by the way, you should have called the Uber. I'm just not blaming you in any way, but when I hear the story, I always go. 2020, that's hindsight. Yeah, 22, you're right. It's like me complaining about the Bears not drafting yeah. Patrick Mahomes, which I will never get over. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, so they. what happened once you got, they took you into the police station? Uh, it was relatively quick because I actually did have insurance, but I got sent in, uh, took fingerprints, uh, a couple photos, asked me to stand in COVID protocol questions. I was in there for about maybe two hours, but to get my car back, it was about another 500 just to get permission to go get my car back. So, yeah. So you're, you're facing $500 worth of five. A, a thousand total just to get my car. Wow. Thousand dollars. I know you didn't make a thousand dollars that night uh, at the gambling. No, no, not at all. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um, so uh, did, did they ever put you in a cell? Uh, no, they had me. Uh, it's really wasn't. a. They gave me an eye bond, so it wasn't really nothing a serious offense to arrest me. They can let me out right away. So you just sat me down and do processing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any warrants out. I didn't have any back issues or back warrants. It was relatively easy for me to get out, fortunately. Now, do you think they would have let you go if you weren't black? If you were a white guy, would they let you go? In your humble opinion, Evo? Uh, to be honest, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not even going to go in that car, but I figured I probably wouldn't have got pulled over. Well, let me just say this. I heard this story. 
And, and thankfully it worked out relatively well. You know what I'm saying, Ebo? We we hear many stories like this that one thing leads to another, and next thing, you know, something really bad happens. So God bless it. You got out. You came to bowling. You had your greatest night ever. I was mad. I had to. (laughs) (laughs) Took it out of the pins. (laughs) (laughs) He saw that head pin. He said, "That's that cop down in that summer." Yeah. Uh, But you know, I'm just going to say this to. my Republican friends and my MAGA listeners out there, there must be one or two of you. You know, you're always upset. You say, talk about your liberties being infringed upon when government says you have to wear a mask. Tucker Carlson just went on the air the other day and denounced any attempt by anybody to wear a mask, said you should call the cops on people wearing masks. So, like, if you feel as though you don't need uh, passports to get on plane with masks, you don't need mask requirements when you go into malls, uh, you don't want to wear helmets, you don't want to uh, wear helmets on your motorcycles, you know, all this infringements that you you don't like too many infringements on your ability to buy a gun. How come when a guy like Ebo gets pulled over for some ticky-tacky violation, you're not up in arms when the guy gets his car searched Cuffs thrown on his hands, dragged into jail. Now he's facing I have five hundred to a thousand dollars worth of fines just to go on living. I don't know, Ebo. I, I uh, there's a double standard in my mind. You know, liberty for some, not for all. But um, anyway, Ebo, I want to thank you for um, one having that great game on Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> No pressure on you to do it again on this coming no Monday pressure. night. No pressure. Uh, and uh, two for coming on and just uh, telling that story. Because the part that kills me is like the search of the car. I'm like, what What? Like, what were they looking for? Oh, they were hoping for everything. Guns, weapons, drugs. But I'm a, pred- I'm a really clean-cut guy. I don't really do too much. I was in a bow tie in the vest when he pulled me out the car. So he should know that I wasn't dressed like a criminal or any type of way like that. So. Yeah. All right. Very good. Ebo, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show and tell that story. I said, would you do it? You said, yeah, I'll do it. I said, are you going to get nervous in front of the microphone? No. And uh, you did a great job. So uh, thank you very much, Ebo. Uh, And and when we return, Governor Pat Quinn will be with us. So stick around, everybody. All right. It's the Ben Jaromsky Show. And as promised, the latest from Mike Girardi.
I just biked around Lake Michigan, nearly a thousand miles. All right. Awesome. And there it was the latest from Mike Girardi. Mike, thank you so much for sending that. We'll be playing that on the regular now. Mike Girardi Bandcamp is what you want to look for. G-E-R-A-R-D-I. All right. It is the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live. Oh, my goodness. I got to turn that down. We are live, everybody. And uh, we're going to reach out to our next guest. How about that, huh? Our next guest. Ben, are you there? Yes, I am here. I was just enjoying Michael Girardi's taking notes on the song. I want to be a centrist. want to cut that baby in half. Michael Girardi. And then a little angry Neil Young like guitar solo. Good job, Michael Girardi. Hello. Uh, as we, all right. Pat Quinn. This is he. Pat Quinn. This is Ben Jarofsky. You sound loud and clear. Very good there, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, and I just want to say this uh, to our listeners. Uh, generally, uh, we do uh, these interviews through uh, some kind of uh, high-tech uh, Google Meet, but for Pat Quinn, we're just doing an old-fashioned uh, telephone. So if it sounds a little different, it's because he's on a phone. And um, Pat was so nice to uh, when I reached out to him to come on the show. Pat Quinn, former governor of the state of Illinois. Pat, and my primary reason to reach out for you, and we'll have secondary things to talk about, uh, is to promote my book, The Greatest Hits, which the reader put together an anthology of some of my stories over the year to raise money for the reader, my beloved Chicago reader, uh, trying to stay mm-hmm. in business and do the good work it's been doing for all these years. And two of the stories, Pat, are about you. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, that's good news. Yeah. Uh, well, the beginning and because... the end, the Alpha and Omega, huh? Yes. And um, uh, here's what I wrote. The first story is... The first story I ever wrote about Pat Quinn, he was uh, a maverick community activist. And when I told him he was a maverick, he said, I'm an unbranded, what'd you say, unbranded cow or unbranded? No, no. It's a, actually, the definition of a maverick was an unbranded steer in Texas. Steer. <laughs> uh, some guy named Maverick had unbranded steers. So that's how that all began. So. Well, there's a great tradition of Mavericks. Uh, maybe not as much in Illinois, but in America, for sure. Anyway, that's pretty funny. An unbranded cow. They don't even brand cows. Anyway, all right. Uh, so, Pat Quinn, this is what I wrote. Years before he became governor, Pat Quinn was an ambitious young activist looking to get press, any press he could find for his issues. I probably wrote a half a dozen, so Pat Quinn's stories down to the years. I include the first and the last to show just how much has stayed the same for Pat Quinn and me <laughs> over time. And really, Amen. Pat, uh, this story was a great story. You were working for Harold Washington in the Revenue Department, and you had come up with the idea for having a ticket, a parking ticket amnesty. Uh, right. And, uh, to, here's what I wrote. This is from 1987, ladies and gentlemen. To make sure you get the message, Pat Quinn hung posters, handed out flyers, slapped banners on the sides of garbage trucks. He brought the refrigerettes downtown to sing a song about the deal. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that. Now, see, uh, the, the 85 Bears were pretty celebrated back then. Uh, they were still around, and William Refrigerator Perry was our great uh, tackle. He actually played in the backfield, too. So there was a group in Chicago of a uh, very, very uh, nice women. Uh, they were, you know, they, they were hefty. Uh, they started a group called the Refrigerettes, and they would go to various places. You know, they got paid and everything uh, to sing and to entertain. And so I asked them to come free of charge down to City Hall, and I wanted them to sing our phone number. Uh, for You could call in the number to 
register for the parking ticket amnesty. It was half off, and we had literally thousands and thousands of people uh, settle their parking tickets and save a lot of money, and it was very popular. But those refrigerators, they knew how to sing that number, that's for sure. <laughs> brought the refrigerants downtown and uh, got people to a break on their parking tickets. Uh, and um, uh, so, Pat, uh, back then, as I said before, uh, you were, were leading many uh, voter initiatives uh, to try uh, to bring change that couldn't happen uh, without the voters uh, taking a direct stand. And the last mm-hmm. article I wrote about you for the reader, the last column was in 2016 when we met for breakfast. I don't know if you remember this. We met for breakfast at yes. this delightful little coffee shop on the north side. Yoke. Yoke. Yes, Yoke. I love that place. <laughs> and uh, you talked me in. You, <laughs> you talked me into signing yeah. your – we even took a picture of it. Of yeah. me signing a petition to get on the ballot term limit question that the mayor of Chicago yeah, for the mayor yes talk about that because we're I want to go into greater detail about that talk about your initiative to well get, uh, yeah to, basically uh, Emmanuel was the mayor and of the 10 biggest cities in America nine out of ten had a reasonable term limit on the mayor generally two terms and New York had it Los Angeles Cal- uh, Philadelphia Houston on and on but in Chicago, there was no term limit, and Rahm wanted to uh, continue on ad infinitum. So we were passing petitions to put on the ballot a term limit of two terms on the mayor, and it would have, you know, made after we finished the second term, he would have been finished. And we were doing this after the whole situation with Juan McDonald, where they, you know, hid the video, and the judge had to order the mayor to. Uh, disclose it for the people to see. So, you know, we, we didn't think it was right that he should just have infinite terms. And we got lots of signatures, including, wasn't easy, convincing uh, Ben Jarofsky uh, <laughs> to sign. Uh, but he believed in it. Uh, after listening to our pitch, uh, he was a believer. And um, we had like 87,000 people sign and far more than the minimum needed. So it was really, I think, a grassroots effort. And to be honest, Ben, um, you know, when we were certified having enough signatures, that was like on the Thursday or Friday before Labor Day in 20, um, 2018, I think it was. And uh, on the, a month, the Tuesday after Labor Day is when Rahm had a vision and decided he wasn't going to run for mayor for a third term because he would have been, you know, I don't think the public would have wanted him for that anyhow. But our term limit thing helped move him along. Oh, I, there's no doubt in my mind. I said it at the time. I put it in print. Uh, and I, I, I always believe this, that uh, your term limit uh, effort uh, motivated him, <laughs> to put it mildly, uh, not to run mm-hmm. for re-election. Probably he also had inside polls that showed how difficult uh, it would be uh, and how mm-hmm. much um, money he would have to spend uh, and how he may uh, stagger to victory, but uh, his reputation was in tatters anyway. And it's really not a completely uh, revived. Uh, he's widely mm-hmm. despised by the left wing of the Democratic Party that he supposedly. Well, uh, I think every wing, you know, you know, you know, he just didn't do a good job for Chicago, no matter what he uh, tries to say. Uh, he really let us down in a lot of ways. And not obeying the Freedom of Information Act as the mayor of the city, that's very bad, especially regarding uh, police issues and so on. And, um, you know, if he wants to be ambassador to somewhere, uh, maybe Antarctica or somewhere like that. 
Yes, and faster than Antarctica. Oh, dress warmly, Rom. Um, so here's the part of the story that I'm particularly obsessed with. And it wasn't enough, okay, that Rom stepped down. This is how much Rahm Emanuel just does not like Pat Quinn. And he he employed uh some of the top election lawyers in the state. I think he had Casper, the great Mike Casper going up against oh, him, yeah. Pat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, oh, yeah. he, Mike Casper, who was the election law lawyer that uh, of the Democratic Party mm-hmm. was anyway. I don't know if he still is. Anyway, they had Casper go to court to cook up some cockamamie constitutional argument. And you know a good lawyer will find anything. They'll stitch together any argument to say mm-hmm. that somehow or other this voter initiative was unconstitutional. And then they got the judges. And Pat, this is me speaking, not you. Mm-hmm. The judges look, they go, hmm, we're going to go with Mike Casper. We're going to go with Pat Quinn. Oh, this is not a hard decision. I'm going with Casper. <laughs> and uh, they bounced your uh, ballot initiative off the ballot. But it took so long for them to do it, Pat Quinn, that the mm-hmm. ballot, was, the initiative was still on the ballot. We got to vote on it. And it's the yeah, people did vote. People mm-hmm. vote. This grinds my gears, Pat. I voted. I voted for you. I voted for that te- term limit just because I was so mm-hmm. irritated with Rahm and Casper for doing this. And they still won't publicize the results. Talk about yeah, that. No, what, what's their justification? Go ahead. It's hard to figure. Uh, you know, under the Freedom of Information Act, I think the Chicago Board of Elections should at least re- re- release the results of what the people voted on in 2018. As you pointed out, the issue was on the ballot. Uh, people overwhelmingly voted for it. We got some of the tapes from various precincts, and it was like you know eight to one or eighty percent voted for it. Uh, but uh, the board of elections to this day resists uh, releasing the results. So you know it's not a good thing. Uh, what Rom did is he tried to put three questions on the ballot, advisory questions, to try and keep the binding term limit on the mayor question off the ballot. Uh, but as you point out, it, they were so delayed in their legal stuff that the uh, court did allow it to be on the ballot. Uh, but the Board of Elections uh, now won't uh, release the results. Voluntarily, they could could do that, but they won't do it. So we, we may have to go to court on that, Ben. Uh, you know, uh, I did go to law school, and right now I'm doing uh, public interest law, and that sounds like a pretty good case. But, um, you know, related to that, you know, our petition passers would go to Millennium Park to get signatures on the um, mayoral term limit petition. And we were doing very well. Uh, but then the mayor's gumshoes, the uh, security types were, uh, they were harassing our petition passers, calling them names, uh, detaining them, threatening them with arrest for exercising their fundamental right to pass petitions. They were not disturbing anything. We were doing it, you know, before any of the concerts and movies began. So we filed a lawsuit in federal court and the uh, federal judge agreed with us that they were, the city was violating the Constitution of Illinois and the, well, the federal Constitution. So, but the city still is resisting. Uh, it's very discouraging, really, uh, that instead of kind of obeying the law, they kind of don't agree uh, with, uh, with the people and uh, try to resist uh, compliance. So we're in court this week, matter of fact, Friday, uh, on that very issue of making sure that Millennium Park is free for the First Amendment uh, for people to exercise their right to speak and pass petitions and so on. What is the argument that the city's lawyers are advancing? Well, they refer to Millennium Park not so much as a park, but as a 
curated art museum or something like that. As if, and the judge just didn't buy that in his uh, ruling, which was about a year ago. He said it's a park. Uh, people can walk through it. It's a thoroughfare. Um, it's according to the city's brochure, 20 million people a year before COVID uh, visited Millennium Park. It was the fifth most visited site in America. And uh, to you know have this preposterous position that the park is divided into rooms and on the great lawn where people sit before the concerts begin or the movies begin, you can't circulate petitions. Uh, it's just plain wrong. And you can't uh, exempt the city of Chicago from uh, the First Amendment of our country, which really does, gives people the right to speak and pass petitions. Uh, some of the great movements of our country have begun with petition drives, uh, where folks uh, have an idea and they gather signatures and uh, put it on the ballot where they can. And uh, we got to retain that uh, fundamental principle here in Illinois and everywhere else in our state, every community. Uh, you can't have uh, the City Corporation Council of Chicago trying to throw their weight around uh, and, and muzzle the voters. And so we won uh, a year or so ago in court, and we're going to win again if the city continues to resist. And so what would ha- if the city is victorious? I'm just trying to think what the the city when I say city, you're really talking about Mayor Lori Lightfoot's mm-hmm. administration, uh, yeah. because nobody asked me. <laughs> I'm, I live in the no. city. Pat Quinn, yeah. you live in the city. Nobody asks you. So the city, mm-hmm. our, our elected mm-hmm. officials. So if they're victorious, ultimately, what will the decision, uh, what will be the meaning, the implications of the decision? Well, the Great Lawn is probably the very best place in the whole state of Illinois uh, when we get out of COVID and people come back, uh, get the chance to watch movies. Uh, you know, for example, they had the movie Purple Rain few years ago, the entire Great Lawn and the, all the Millennium Park around the uh, uh, hall there, the Pritzker Pavilion, was filled, lots of people wearing purple. Well, obviously, that's a great place to visit with people as far as signing a petition, you know, again, before the movie begins. Uh, folks, uh, you know, they have picnics, they talk to friends and meet new people, and that's what we were doing. And uh, one time, one of the security guards uh told uh, one of our best petition passers that she would be detained and they kept her for about a half hour. And then she wanted to say, well, can I go get signatures? I got my clipboard here. They said, no, if you do, you'll be arrested. Um, So, you know, she's one of our plaintiffs in our case. um, And the judge ruled in our favor. uh, uh, It was in March or February of last year. Uh, But as we hopefully this summer have more opportunities for these larger gatherings, uh, we'll be out passing petitions. We uh, still want to get term limits on the mayor. I'm disappointed, really, in uh, Lori Lightfoot. Uh, she said she was for that, two-term limit. That's good enough for president. Why not mayor of Chicago? But uh, in order to get this done, you have to put it on the ballot in Chicago, and the voters must approve it, as they have in all these other big cities across the country. Well, let me just point out one more time. Uh, they did get it on the ballot. Pat Quinn and his uh, <laughs> allies got over 80,000 uh, signatures. And even with the best efforts of the Democratic election lawyers to cut uh, the number of signatures uh, they had, they still could only <laughs> cut it to 50-something thousand. Uh, and so it was put on the ballot. And people voted on it. I will repeat this. 
<laughs> People <laughs> voted on this thing and they won't uh, tell us the results. So for all we know, the people of the city of Chicago, Pat Quinn, may have already uh, approved uh, a, um, a term limit. And it's very similar with the elected school board. I'll just, uh, right. just take a, yeah. a brief tangent here. So many mm-hmm. uh, smaller referendums. Uh, advisory referendums, Pat, uh, ward by ward, have approved an elected school board. Uh, and yet the mm-hmm. powers that be in the city just completely stifle. Uh, well, you know, Ben, I'll tell you, you're exactly right. I was a plaintiff in a case. Uh, Tom Gagan was my lawyer. We went to federal court to try and get an elected school board in Chicago. Every other city in Illinois has an elected school board, and uh, we don't. And, you know, the mayor... Uh, has been trying to block that or, or have a proposal that's not acceptable. So, you know, what we really need in Chicago uh, is similar to what other big cities around the country have, and that's a, a binding initiative power where voters, when they uh, re- meet resistance, uh, can petition a question on the ballot and the politicians can't take it off or suppress the vote or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, it's interesting, Ben, because in Evanston, a uh, new man got elected mayor, uh, that's Dan Biss, who's a very excellent uh, legislator when I was governor. And he ran for governor. He didn't make it, but he ran a real good race. And uh, in Evanston now, he's the mayor-elect who gets sworn in uh, in a few days. And we have a group there of petition passers who want to have an Evanston voter initiative, where in Evanston, if you want to ordinance passed, you can petition, gather the signatures, give it to the council for 60 days or so. But if they don't pass it, then you vote on it in a referendum for environmental issues or ethics issues, criminal justice issues, you name it. People all over the country are voting on local initiatives and referendums. And uh, we're going to catch up here in Illinois and Evanston's in the least way. Yeah, Evans in my hometown, by the way. Uh, proud graduate mm-hmm. of Evans in high school. Uh, yes, Pat, indeed. I, I started the show uh, before you came on by blasting the Democrats in California for the uh, uh, the drive to oust uh, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom. And uh, they have a system where if enough, they, they mm-hmm. can recall. The voters could do a recall. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, to quote Richard Nixon, let me be perfectly clear. I'm not against mm-hmm. the recall vote uh, in California. I'm really mad at Democrats. And this is me speaking, not Pat Quinn for their Mm -hmm. arrogance, for their arrogance uh, in, in the face of proposing uh, and enacting Pat uh, COVID protocol measures that uh, force people to wear masks, et cetera, which I believe in. But then turning mm-hmm. around and going to having a fundraiser at the French Laundry restaurant without masks, mm-hmm. this is what Gavin Newsom did. It's so arrogant yeah. and just fired up the voters. And now they're facing this recall uh, effort. Uh, yeah. I'm really mad at the Democrats for their arrogance. <laughs> what's your general, as a man who believes in mm-hmm. voter initiatives, what's your attitude well, about what's going on in California? Things. Go ahead. Uh, I do think that Gavin Newsom will uh, prevail and he will not be recalled. Uh, he did make a mistake by his own admission at going to that restaurant. Uh, it was a big mistake. Um, I know him. He's a good man. Um, and uh, California has you know, had some problems, obviously, with the implementation of fighting COVID. But uh, really, that whole movement out there was led by the Republicans. They They've got uh, enough signatures, but I think the referendum will show that people want to keep uh, Gavin Newsom as uh, governor there. But, you know, in Illinois, uh, Ben, back when I first became governor, 
uh, got on the ballot in our state in 2010, a recall amendment for governor of Illinois. Um, when I was in office as governor, six years I was in office, at one time we had two former governors, George Ryan and Rob Bogoyevich, in jail at the same time. And, um, you know, I thought we needed to have a, a way for the voters to get rid of a corrupt governor. And uh, the voters voted for that in 2010, in November, uh, passed two to one. It, it's used sparingly around the country. But when you have something like Ryan or Bogoyevich really doing terrible things, you need a method for the people to act. Well, and by the way, I just want to point out Rob Bogoyevich was uh, Pat Quinn's predecessor as governor of Illinois. He's now become very popular with MAGA, big time uh, Trump supporter. Uh, yeah. Just the... <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he, I... he really uh, got Illinois in the deep hole. You know, when I became governor, our state had an ethics crisis because of him. We also nationwide had the Great Recession where people were losing their jobs, their homes, their businesses, everything. And then our state budget was obviously in terrible shape. He wasn't a good person who managed the budget, to say the least. So I had Bogoyevich before me and then Rauner after me. Uh, but I think during the six years I was governor, we tried to uh, straighten things out budget-wise and do the right thing, even if it was hard. And sometimes it was hard. I had to tell the people of Illinois when I was running for election that we needed more revenue to pay the bills. And uh, we had to raise the income tax. But... We uh, won the election and we got that law passed. And uh, ultimately, it's been uh, reestablished once uh, uh, people saw how bad Rauner was when it came to the budget. Um, speaking of your uh, time in the state house and your time in politics in Illinois, I got to ask you about Michael Joseph Madigan, the former House Speaker. You had mm -hmm. to deal with him when you were governor, of course. Uh, he resigned. He stepped down. He's in the midst of a scandal mm -hmm. regarding uh, put Commonwealth that isn't putting his cronies on the payroll, uh, presumably in exchange for him doing the right thing for them on legislation. And part of this, uh, Pat, relates to we talked about this briefly uh, earlier this morning. I'd love for you to give listeners a little. Uh, history lesson here mm -hmm. uh, about a veto, a veto override in yeah. 2011. Uh, tell folks about this. Go ahead. <clears throat> well, that was a very important moment. Uh, I was governor. Tom uh, had a lot of lobbyists and uh, friends in the legislature, to say the least. But they passed a bill <clears throat> that would basically give the company, Tom Ed, um, a very easy way to get rate increases. They call it the formula rate where instead of having to go before the Illinois Commerce Commission, they could use this formula to really get their higher rates. And I vetoed that bill. I said it was a bad bill. Uh, Lisa Madigan was on my side. She was attorney general. So it was the Citizen Utility Board. Uh, it was a group I helped start, and uh, they represent consumers. We were against this, and it was a bad bill. So um, ComEd went out, and they got Madigan and Cullerton and, and frankly, all uh, the Republican leaders as well, uh, to lead an override of that uh, particular veto. And so they got what they wanted. Uh, this has been around now 10 years. They've really uh, shortchanged consumers, in my opinion. And lo and behold, we learned, you know, last summer that ComEd engaged in uh, bribery to get this veto override passed and uh, get the law extended. So for 10 years, uh, they were uh, bribing uh, various people have been indicted now, and uh, uh, some have pled guilty. 
And so it's really an economic crime of the century, as far as I'm concerned, that every residential consumer, every business, every unit of government, like school districts, or unit, you know, the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District, anybody who uses electricity uh, of ComEd has been cheated for a decade. And um, we want to get our money back. And one of the things I'm doing now is I'm a lawyer and I'm representing Cub Citizen Utility Board in both state court and federal court to get restitution, to make the company pay back their ill-gotten gains. And uh, this is a big, big case, and hopefully we can prevail. It's very important that the legislature and the governor right now get the message that uh, uh, justice has to be done here. Consumers got cheated out of literally millions and probably billions of dollars, and uh, uh, they haven't had to pay back the money they owe the people. I'd just like to point out uh, at this moment, Pat, something I pointed out uh, earlier in a phone call with you. Uh, yes, it's Michael Madigan in the spotlight uh, for the uh, Commonwealth Edison uh, veto override uh, that Pat uh, mm-hmm. Quinn just alluded to. But Republicans also voted for it. And so, uh, mm-hmm. Pat, it's just me speaking, just telling my mind, whenever I hear Republican get on his high horse and talk about Oh, <laughs> Michael Madigan and the corrupt Democratic Party mm-hmm. on that Commonwealth Edison uh, veto override. I'm like, well, why did you vote for it then, Republicans? Yeah. No, it was, a, it was a team effort to override the veto by uh, both sides. Uh, but Madigan really disappointed me on that. Uh, he uh, was obviously Speaker of the House back then in 2011. His own daughter was strongly against um the formula rate. She was on my side and we had a very good coalition, the AARP, CUB, uh, Environmental Law and Policy, very good groups, uh, Illinois Perk. Uh, and um, instead of listening to consumers and public interest advocates, and frankly, listening to the governor, Madigan and, uh, and Cullerton, he was the leader of the Senate then, uh, they just uh, stampeded in, to override the uh, veto that's cost everybody so much money and hurt us in Illinois, hurt consumers, hurt businesses and jobs, hurt governments and the money they had to educate kids and so on. And so we got to get justice. And, you know, this is not something that's going away. Uh, we, you know, a lot of times these movements, Ben, that really change things for the good, for the long run, they don't come from the top down. They bubble up from the grassroots. And that's one of the reasons I believe in petition and initiative and referendum. Uh, some of the interesting things going on right now in America, uh, Austin, Texas, uh, next month is voting on what's called Democracy Dollars, a local initiative of campaign finance reform where each voter in Austin, Texas would get uh, two $25 vouchers uh, to decide who they want to give money to in a campaign. It's grassroots uh, reform of campaign finance, and it's already working in Seattle. And Again, that happened because of local initiative and referendum. The people put it on the ballot. And frankly, that's how the whole $15 minimum wage uh, movement began. It was a suburb of Seattle that did that about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more. And uh, people voted for it and said, hey, we got to raise the wage. We got to raise the minimum wage. It's way too low. It's not fair. People shouldn't live in poverty and work 40 hours a week. That's not right. And, you know, sometimes it takes movements built around petition and referendum to wake up the insiders and the incumbents. Uh, 
speaking of petition <clears throat> movements that wake up and come and get people upset, uh, you, of course, the, the one that uh, put you on the map happened like in the early 80s. Uh, cutting back the number of legislators uh, in, in the General Assembly. Uh, I don't think they ever forgave you for that one, Pat Quinn. Uh, I still hear <laughs> no. people complaining about it. Uh, it's like some of my old stories. I still get people complaining about some of my old stories. Uh, so when you, uh-huh. when, you, when you sum it up, you, it's 2021. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your sense of Michael Madigan's legacy? He was against you on that term. Yeah. It's a legislature. Yeah. He was not he was yeah. against you on ComEd. Uh, I never There's another one Madigan saying much of a nice thing about you. What's your sense of his legacy? Well, Go ahead, Pat. My first kind of experience with Madigan with him was back in 1976. And our group had gathered 635,158 signatures, an all-time record. And last Friday, was the 45th anniversary of us actually filing the petition. What was the petition? We wanted to stop Illinois legislators from collecting their entire annual salary on the first day of office before they did any work. Some of them resigned during their term, but they kept all the money they took in advance. There were others, too many, that were convicted of felonies, were removed from office, but because they took their pay in advance, they still kept the money. So we had a petition drive to end advance pay for legislators. We gathered all those signatures. We forced them to pass a, a law against it. I happened to be in the gallery of the uh, Illinois House, and uh, one of the legislators in, was introducing people from uh, the 4-H from Macomb, Illinois, and the Cub Scouts from Carbondale. And then he pointed up to me in the gallery and said, and there's that Pat Quint up there, and they stood up and booed me for three minutes, a standing boovation led by Mike Madigan. And the uh, one of the representatives said, well, you're booing, uh, uh, you know, why are you booing Pat Quinn? He's an Irishman. And Madigan said, he's not worthy of being called an Irishman. So that was my first introduction to him. <laughs> <laughs> not worthy of being called an Irishman. Uh, wow, I won't even touch that one. Uh, so uh, did you ever remind him of that, by the way, in all the years? Oh, yeah, yeah. I would have to say this about Mike Madigan. Uh, you know, he had sort of a stern reputation in that. But, you know, in private, when I was governor, we'd have breakfast quite often at the uh, governor's mansion with the leadership of the House and Senate, including Madigan. And you could tease him, which I did. And I brought up this uh, uh, anecdote from 1976. And he said, uh, well, he still didn't agree with the, I guess, bill that we got passed. But, uh he he was pretty good natured about that, uh, and uh, I don't know if everybody knows. He in the old days he had an office down there on Pulaski Road. His nickname was the Sphinx of Pulaski Road. You know, he uh, he didn't he couldn't tell you whether he was for or against the bill, I guess. But so once in a while I'd be down there, and he'd tell me, uh, "Yeah, if you're coming down, come up the fire escape." And um, so that's what I did. You don't go in the front door; you keep going up the fire escape. But, it, it, you know, you'd have, uh, I would say the conversations were, uh, he, he was never uh, someone who you couldn't tease, at least, uh, although he teased me, I'm sure. So mm. that's the way it goes. In politics, you don't want to have bitter enemies, people who, you know, at each other's throats, uh, what's happening in Washington, D.C. now, especially what happened on January 6th with the insurrection. Um, democracy's got to have a system where, 
you may strongly disagree with somebody, but you don't want to be at their throats. Um, it's not healthy. Yeah. By the way, and I always feel compelled to say this when the subject of Michael Joseph Madigan comes up, the man stood his ground in those four years around her. And I always thank him for that. Yeah. Pat Quinn. I always thank him. For oh no. Uh, uh, I, I, rights. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you there. Matter of fact, when I was governor, I had a proposal to raise the income tax by 3% only on millionaires and the money would all be given to schools, education in Illinois. Madigan was for that. And we tried to get that on the ballot as a binding referendum. And there was one member of the house uh, that wouldn't vote for it. We needed 71 votes. We had probably 70. Madigan couldn't get him to vote for it. His name was Scott Drury. And therefore, we had to put it on the ballot as an advisory question in, yeah. in 2014. It passed two to one. And Madigan was always for that. And frankly, Ben, that's what um, Pritzker should have done uh, back uh, last election, 2020. I talked to JB and suggested that that was a good model to follow. You could, um, you know, use the money for property tax relief and helping schools. And ironically, they did something like that in Arizona. It passed overwhelmingly. But in Illinois, we, the proposal was uh, not earmarked for something important like schools and education. And um, you know, they despite $55 million spent for the Fairness Amendment there, it didn't make it because I, I think it wasn't uh, well-drafted. Yeah, Scott Drury, a state rep from the Highland Park area, I recall, and uh, uh, took mm -hmm. great pride in opposing uh, Michael Madigan. And I, I yeah, but, but a progressive income tax. Is that correct? You know, yeah, I asked the guy, you know, I asked Representative Drury, I mean, come on. This is a once-in-a-lifetime chance to make Illinois' tax code fair and help school children. And, uh, and he just wouldn't vote for it. And it turned out, you know, by it got 64, 65% of the vote. And that would have uh, been a real shot in the arm for Illinois education. One thing I'm for, and they're doing local initiatives on around the country, is universal preschool education for um, three and four-year-olds. Uh, they had initiatives on the ballot in San Antonio, Tucson, Cincinnati, just recently in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and we, we need to do that here in Illinois. We can't do it statewide. Let's get a local initiative movement going in towns, not only Evanston, uh, we're trying in Oak Park. I talked to the uh, mayor there in Bloomington, Illinois, and Urbana, but every town. Uh, you know, folks listening, if you're interested in the whole power of grassroots democracy and direct democracy, uh, you know, my name's Pat Quinn. Get a hold of me, and uh, we'll get the movement started in your town. All right. Very good. Pat Quinn, not a lot has changed in terms of your basic message since <laughs> 1987 when I wrote that. Out. And not a lot has changed in my basic message. We're just older. But we're wiser, Pat. All right. Well, I'll tell you now, Ben, local initiative in Chicago, we had that. We wouldn't have these TIF, uh, tax increment financing abuses that you've written about uh, in, in, in an encyclopedic form. You know, uh, there's an encyclopedia, not just a book, but an encyclopedia of Ben's columns about tax increment finance abuse. So we got to change it. And why shouldn't Chicago have a power where people can put important issues on the local ballot? If we're going to fight climate change, let's empower the voters, everybody in and give them a chance with ideas to save on energy and reduce emissions and protect the environment. Uh, uh, we got to you know, strengthen the voters. Uh, it, it's the fourth branch of government, not just the big shots and the insiders, uh, 
it's too much of that and we need more people. All right, Pat, I guess to say one thing, uh, this, uh, this book that I promoted, which has two stories about you, uh, and it's a, a, a collection of, uh, my articles down through the years for the reader, um, that the reader has put together to help raise money. I have to tell you, not one TIFF story in there. I said, you know what, guys? When they hear not oh, your name, all they think is TIFF. I go, I'm going to show the world. I can write about basketball. I can write about sports. I can write about politicians without writing about TIFF. So, uh, I mean, oh, no, that'll be your it. next book, uh, Ben. Yes. They'll make a movie out of the TIFF book, you know, <laughs> and you can star in it. You and uh, Brad Pitt, you know, or maybe Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt will play me. you. Yeah, because, I mean, who else would play me but Brad Pitt? Uh, all right, Pat Quinn, thanks so much. Uh, oh, one more thing. On now, show. how do you get the book, Ben? Tell the listeners, uh, what's the uh, email? Or how do you get online there? Get the book. Just go to chicagoreader.com and get the okay. book. Thank you, Pat. That's a good bet. That, that, Pat Quinn is thinking. <laughs> That's yeah. how you get signatures, Ben. You have petition pastors. They got to know where to go. So uh, it's chicagoreader.com. And it's Ben's book. Is that what they call it? Well, it's called Ben Jarofsky's Greatest Hits. How about oh, that? Oh, okay. And, and so two of my greatest hits are about you. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really, really good. No no problem. Yeah. Uh, um, anyhow, okay. Well, uh, everybody listening, Ben is really a man of the people, if there ever was one, and a force of nature, I might add. Uh, and we got to help the reader. I believe in the reader. I've been reading the reader's uh, Noah, you know, so yeah. <laughs> let's uh, help the cause. ChicagoReader.com, look for uh, uh, Ben's greatest, Ben Jarofsky's greatest hits. And uh, Ben, I, I'll, I'll buy a, bu- a couple of them and uh, you'll have to give, I'll have to get you to autograph them. You and uh, Brad we'll Pitt. Go, we'll go back okay. out and have breakfast together and I'll autograph them. Okay, yeah. You. Amen. And bring Doris Sounds Davenport. Good. She was st- fighting a good fight there in Millennia Park. Good friend of, uh, good friend of the yes, show indeed. and good friend of me. Oh, Doris is great. She's yeah. one of our plaintiffs in the case on petition passing. They threatened her first to be detained and then to be arrested by passing petitions before the music begins at on the Great Lawn at Millennium Park. We got to get justice. That's why we're in court and we're going to win. All right. Very good. Thanks so much, Pat. Appreciate you coming okay. on the show. Take care, Ben. We'll see you All now. Right. Be good. That's Governor Pat Quinn, former Governor Pat Quinn. And uh, my opinion, let's see, when I think about former governors or presidents, you got Jimmy Carter, great. Great, great uh, former president. I thought the way he's lived his life after his presidency, outstanding. And Pat Quinn, D, I know you agree with me on this one. By far the best former governor we ever had. Oh, just a good human being. Like I've met him when I, you know, I I don't look at him as a governor every time I talk to him. I just look at him like some just dude hanging out at a restaurant or something. I don't know. He's really nice. Like too nice to be in politics, if you ask me. And that was very, and he always does that at the end every interview he'll you know we'll talk about his stuff and then at the very end i just want to let people know ben's awesome he's great he's uh you know <laughs> he puts you over right before he rolls out yeah no he's a good guy pat quinn i also want to thank ebo another good man got harassed this weekend come on guys it's ridiculous just ridiculous yeah i don't know if you were busy you got a chance to hear that but man they uh-huh just like it's so unnecessary to search his car and you know what I'm saying? And then slap on the cuffs and drag him down. To the, it just, I'm glad nothing really serious happened, but it just, yeah, just so unnecessary. We got to rethink our whole policing strategies and how police deal with black guys. That's just black men in particular. So thank Ebo for coming on the show. And of course, 
Like the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy in Alton, Illinois, without him to show it possible. And you know something, D? What? Pat Quinn and Ebo agree that back home in Alton, they call you Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Name's Dennis. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows. And so much more. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Yes, on that site, you will get the deal on Ben Jarofsky's book, His Greatest Hits. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. You can send us an email, BennyJShow at gmail.com. Reach out to us online at BennyJShow, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. And you can call us. It's true. 708-658-4788. The number again, 708-658-4788. Who wants to continue the trend of Chicago Bulls trivia? Huh? Call us up. Leave us a voicemail with the question. Leave an email with the answer. And we'll give Ben some Chicago Bulls trivia. 708-658-4788. 